0: Hi, and welcome to Listen Up, A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that will feed you to its children. Just kidding. We're vegetarian. I'm Joshua Unruh, (laughs) superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions.
1: And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, story expert of Chipperish Media. Together we are working our way through the good, the bad, and the, what are those? What are your toes doing out in my lab of the MCU?
0: So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Black Panther. Well, of course, for our four-color facts, we have to start with the name of the movie, The Man Himself. First appearing in Fantastic Four number 52 in 1966, King T'Challa of Wakanda, the Black Panther, was a very purposeful move by Stan and Jack, drink, (laughs) to introduce a powerful and brilliant black superhero into the Marvel Universe. He is, in fact, the first black superhero in mainstream American comics. Black Panther is as brilliant as Mr. Fantastic, as physically capable as Captain America, as technologically advanced as Tony Stark. The Black Panther purposefully burst onto the scene as a statement from Marvel Comics. But this statement was not delivered entirely easily. (laughs) Originally, Jack designed him as the coal tiger and had a much more flamboyant costume and no mask at all. The name eventually settled on the Black Panther, which did predate the naming of the political party. Although Mm -hmm. a later attempt to distance T'Challa from real world politics had him briefly calling himself the Black Leopard. It didn't stick. Did Mm -hmm. not stick. And aside from the name, the biggest change was in the costume generally and the mask specifically. Like Mm -hmm. I say, we went from a much more colorful, flamboyant outfit with no mask to an all-black costume with a Panther-style cowl. Now, originally from that, though, the cowl was more in a Batman style with an open mouth and chin. Uh But... There were concerns about having an obviously black man on the cover of one of their premiere titles at Marvel. And this led them to choose to close the cowl into an entire face mask. There are a lot of ways that the 616 Panther is different than the MCU version, but most of them are pretty tied up in keeping a character interesting over the course of several decades. Mm -hmm. Uh, Comic book Wakanda is a lot more mystical. It's also technological, but more mystical. You know, mm-hmm. So while T'Challa mm-hmm. is not himself a wizard or a shaman, he has access to the magical artifacts of his people. Mm-hmm. In the comics, he spent many years abroad preparing to avenge the death of his father. And I know that mm-hmm. sounds similar to Civil War, but hear that operative word of years abroad, <laughs> not a right. week or two like in mm-hmm. Civil War. Uh, later on, he married Storm of the X-Men. He replaced Daredevil as the protector of Hell's Kitchen. He's time-traveled with the aid of King Solomon's frogs. <laughs> so some differences, right? But overall... Wait, the... wait,
1: wait. Have you told me about the time-traveling frogs of King Solomon? or Did I forget that somehow?
0: There is no way in hell that I have ever brought that up before this moment because I don't understand why I ever would. <laughs>
1: because okay like i just want to say because you dropped king solomon's frogs
0: yeah not just
1: frogs but like time traveling frogs right yeah just like it was nothing just like everybody knows about this <laughs>
0: Why? Well, you know, I don't know what anybody knows about anything when it comes to this bonkers nonsense.
1: <laughs> One day I want to hear about King Solomon's time-traveling frogs. I'm just putting that request in. Doesn't that have to be today? I know you got really, really heavy four-color facts, but I, I need to hear about that eventually.
0: Sure. No, I'm happy to tell you about mm-hmm. it. Um, he goes on a time-traveling adventure thanks to two mechanical and or magical frogs that belong to King Solomon. Here's the part that won't shock you at all. <laughs> Jack Kirby is 100% responsible for all of that.
1: Okay. I somehow thought it would be a, a longer story than that. But Oh, okay. no. I mean,
0: there's like a whole story to it, right? I mean... <laughs> There's like six or eight issues of the story, but yeah, that's basically Uh what it boils down to and uh, it's weird as shit and I do recommend it because it's Jack Kirby drawing Black Panther in all his glory. It's very good. Very good. But overall, King Solomon's frogs aside, the core take on the character and his hidden technologically advanced never colonized nation are the same in the 616 as in the movie. Mm -hmm. Broadly. Now, that's really all I have to say about him because, again, you get the most important parts of what Mm -hmm. makes Black Panther Black Panther in the movie. Mm -hmm. Killmonger, however, is a fucking trip. Yeah. He's another one of those examples where the initial idea isn't bad, but the continuity distillation of the MCU really takes the concept to the next level, I think. Uh-huh. So, in the 616, Killmonger began his life as a native child of Wakanda named N'Jadaka. He mm-hmm. watched Ulysses Claw press-gang his father into service against Wakanda, and when the dust settled, N'Jadaka's father was dead, and he was exiled from Wakanda for his father's part in the insurrection.
1: Oh, my God. Uh,
0: Yeah. um, There's kind of some question about how good a king T'Chaka was. Like, there's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a little fuzzier in the comics than it looks like it was in the movie. Although this movie yeah. grits it up too. so Yeah, you know. no,
1: it does. Mm-hmm.
0: The boy who would be Killmonger swore vengeance against T'Chaka and spent his life studying and training for the day he would take revenge on the Wakandan king. Mm-hmm. He also literally changed his name to Eric Killmonger. <laughs> so not exactly subtle.
1: <laughs> you know, Eric, Eric though feels like, like such a strange thing like name to connect with something like killmonger
0: <laughs> i know I it's like joe right? mass murderer i don't you know it's a weird mix yeah it is a little weird um but but also i appreciate on one hand i appreciate the lack of subtlety on the other yes. hand a huge part of him studying to take revenge was at mit rather uh-huh. than you know jsoc and toppling <laughs> governments so <laughs> name not very subtle But his approach, much more subtle. Very strange. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Killmonger contacted T'Challa and convinced the new king that he should be repatriated. He was, and he moved into a village where he began creating a subversive element. Mm -hmm. He wanted to return Wakanda to its mystic, more African roots and do away with the white colonist mindset that had infected it. So that's similar. We see the roots of where we get Mm -hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. And what's more, Eric, Killmonger, took advantage of the Panthers' frequent absences on Avengers business. He mm-hmm. teamed up with Baron Macab and threw a coup. Wow. The coup eventually failed. Eric died, and you'd think that would be the end of it. But the Mandarin <laughs> resurrected him. <laughs> and he attempted another coup.
1: Wow.
0: And another. <laughs> He honestly usually wound up dead after each one of these attempts and would just get resurrected by some shenanigans.
1: Wow.
0: Along the way, he did manage to actually beat T'Challa in ritual combat and ascend as the Black Panther. Unfortunately, the heart-shaped herb nearly killed him as it is poisonous to all save those of royal blood. Mm Mm-hmm. During his last attempted coup, which happened from a neighboring nation he had taken over, mm-hmm. he was killed by Monica Rambeau, who we know and we'll talk more about in Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. This time he might be dead for good. And one of the reasons I think that is because, of course, his son witnessed his death and swore oh, vengeance wow. on the Black Panther, just as Killmonger had done for his own father as a child. So
1: wow. So
0: maybe we got a Killmonger 2. Now,
1: yeah, maybe, maybe.
0: Shuri. Shuri is also very different in the 616. She was introduced relatively recently, created by Reginald Hudson and John Ramita Jr. in 2005. Just like the movie, she's T'Challa's younger sister, and unlike the movie, she is deeply jealous of the fact that he gets to be Black Panther. She always wanted to take the trials, partake of the heart-shaped herb, and lead her people. But when she was mm-hmm. finally given the chance, the Panther Goddess Bast rejected her because of her jealousy and refused to imbue her with the powers of the Black Panther. When a supervillain threatens to destroy. Wakanda entirely, Shuri defended her homeland and her then comatose brother as the Black Panther, despite being powerless. This selfless act caused Bass to reconsider and imbue her with the powers of the Black Panther. After a lot of other stuff, she dies and this time it sticks. T'Challa is able to bring her back, but now she's got an entirely new power set that are much more mystical and shamanistic. Overall, she's pretty great most of the time, but I truly prefer the MCU Shuri. She <laughs> I was feels just
1: gonna say, I love the MCU Shuri.
0: <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, they really get her personality down. Mm-hmm. So much better. And I, and while they definitely wound up in a place that I really appreciate with her jealousy and her getting over it and Bast recognizing right. that and all that mm-hmm. stuff, I just kind of like it better if she's his equal but different, you know, yeah. that she is mm-hmm. the minister of science or whatever. She's yeah. R&D for the whole country. I, I just like that non-combative mm-hmm. approach better in the
1: yeah, end. Yeah, working as a team. You know? Right. a wonderful thing. Yeah.
0: I mean, rivalries, especially sibling rivalries, are real storytelling stuff. I like mm-hmm. that, but I like where we get with Shuri in the movie much better.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Speaking of that, I love where we get on the movie. I love where we get in the movie with Nakia. And mm-hmm. 616 Nakia is kind of garbage, and I wish I could skip her, oh, but I can't. Oh, no. So she was chosen to be a Dora Milaje, which means... Mm-hmm. Adored ones. They're actually oh. ceremonial wives in training for the Black Panther. Wait. And his bodyguard. Don't miss that part. It's just Wait. there's an added thing, there's an added element uh-huh. here. Uh huh. So T'Challa actually created the group from villages that were less than enthusiastic about his rule in order to create mm. goodwill with the villages. But. Yes. Obviously, choosing one bride from one of the rebellious villages would be a disaster. So it's all ceremony. Mm -hmm. They're mostly his bodyguards. Okay. Uh But Nakia was never into that. She was smitten with T'Challa instantly and truly wanted to marry him. And when that utterly failed to work out, Nakia Mm -hmm. plotted to murder T'Challa's American girlfriend instead.
1: Oh, damn.
0: Yeah, she got dark quick-like. Now, when T'Challa stopped the plot, he banished Nakia, bringing great shame to her tribe and the nation as a whole. Mm -hmm. Now, she did a bunch of villainous shit, and she wound up with the name Malice, and she let loose a terrible Wakandan weapon and sent it to kill Storm. But it went haywire, and she had to team up with the rest of the Dora to stop it. In the end, Nakia sacrificed herself and overcame her own hatred enough to beat the weapon, and she was mm-hmm. buried with honors as a Dora Milaje. Okay. So very different. I like this version much more, but you know, yeah. at least that other one got an arc, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough.
0: Okoye is also mentioned in the comics, but she's different enough. She's basically not given as much spotlight until after the movie comes out. Mm -hmm. She's basically the best Dora Milaje, although she's Mm -hmm. never considered a general in the 616. Mm -hmm. But very recently, she has been revealed as the director of the Agents of Wakanda, which is exactly as cool as it sounds and is (laughs) basically the most recent team of Avengers' espionage squad.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah, it's and All she's right. running that show. It's pretty mm-hmm. good. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is kind of a tough one. I'm transitioning mm-hmm. out of the Friends and into the, you know, middle space, the anti-hero yeah. space. Man-Ape.
1: Oh.
0: MCU M'Baku got the biggest glow up of anybody because <laughs> he's no longer a racist caricature.
1: All right. Mm-hmm.
0: Man-Ape debuted in 1969. With the name M'Baku, he was the Mm -hmm. greatest warrior in Wakanda next to the Black Panther himself. And he began to lust after the throne. He revived the outlawed white gorilla cult. There are several animal-related cults in Wakanda Mm -hmm. in the 616. The most powerful, the preeminent one, the royal one being the panther cult. Yeah. There had been a white gorilla cult. It had been outlawed uh, by T'Chaka, I believe. Mm Mm-hmm. When T'Challa wasn't looking, which happened a lot early on because he was off mm-hmm. busy being an Avenger, M'Baku re- resurrects that cult. He then proceeded to kill one of the extremely rare white gorillas of Wakanda, bathe mm-hmm. in its blood, and eat its flesh. Ooh. This blasphemy mystically transferred the power of the white gorillas into M'Baku, giving him mm-hmm. superhuman strength, reflexes, durability, and stamina. And then, just to be a bastard, he wore the white gorilla skin into battle and called himself Manape. Wow. And that's pretty fucking racist. And if you don't know why, I'm not going to explain it to you now. I don't mean you, Lonnie. I'm, I'm sure you right. realize, but just any mm-hmm. listeners who aren't sure yeah. mm-hmm. why comparing Africans or African American people to simians. That's bad, don't do it, and they Mm -hmm. definitely should have known what they were doing in fucking 1969, but apparently they didn't. Now, Mm -hmm. saying all that, I'll still admit, there's some stuff mixed up in Man Ape that I like. I really Mm -hmm. like that he gets his powers that are kind of similar to the Black Panthers, but he gets them through like a blasphemous ritual. That's Mm kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it really makes him an opposite number to T'Challa, and I love opposite number villains a lot. But the rest of yes. it's racist mm-hmm. as fuck, and considering the magic Winston Duke brought to the screen, forget all of it. Just move on. <laughs> now we're in villain territory, Ulysses mm-hmm. Claw In the 616, Ulysses is the son of a Nazi war criminal who had been sent by Hitler to discover the secrets of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. Fritz, that's his actual name, not me being dismissive of those as German ancestry, (laughs) raised Ulysses on tales of vibranium. Mm -hmm. When Ulysses grew up, he became a physicist with a focus on sound waves. He stole vibranium in order to further his experiments. We'll talk about why vibranium was perfect for that here in a Mm -hmm. minute. We we got some discussion about vibranium. But in the real world year of 1966, he murdered King Tachaka. While stealing mm-hmm. that vibranium. Yeah. And when Prince T'Challa saw this happen, he battled Claw to the point that Claw lost his right hand. Mm-hmm. When he reappears, it's been replaced with a sonic weapon that could, among other things, create solid sound forms to do his bidding and fighting. Along the way, Claw also used the device to turn himself into a sentient being of solid sound. Wow. Now, his cohesion in that form is maintained predominantly by the actual device. So Mm -hmm. separating the device from him causes him to go non-corporeal. Oh, wow. Which can make him a little insane. Like, it's like a sensory deprivation tank that he can never get out of.
1: Oh, right. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, honestly, otherwise he's pretty typical of the world beater style villain. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) he just Mm -hmm. happens to have a focus on sound gimmicks and vibranium. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I love him in the MCU so much more and I'm sorry he didn't make it out of this movie alive, but I'm quietly hoping that there is like a cohesive sound version of Ulysses Claw in the future of the MCU.
1: Yeah, that'd be interesting.
0: Everett Ross. We need to give a brief mention to this gentleman. Mm Mm-hmm. In the comics, he's a State Department attorney that Christopher Priest, the writer who created him, used specifically to bridge the gap between African mysticism and the predominantly white readership. Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. Christopher Priest said as much in interviews (laughs) that that's why he made use of Ah. Everett Ross, because he really Ah. wanted to do a bunch of African stuff with Black Panther, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. needed a viewpoint character that everybody could explain stuff to. Not wildly dissimilar to how he's used in the movie after about the midway point, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, let's chat about vibranium just a little bit. Mm -hmm. In the 616, there are actually a few different strains of the Miracle Metal. The first discovered by the Marvel Universe, like not as far as we're concerned, but as far as the internal chronology is concerned, right, Mm -hmm. is Antarctic vibranium so-called because it was found in Antarctica. Mm -hmm. It's also called antibetal because it causes other metals to melt when they're in proximity to one another. Wow. Pretty cool. And also Mm. incredibly dangerous.
1: I can only begin to imagine. (laughs) Right?
0: I mean, just an ounce of it. Like, oh, I just brought this ounce into literally anywhere in the modern world, and it's over. Just done. (laughs) Living vibranium is a recently introduced type Also from Wakanda, not from Mm -hmm. Antarctica, uh, it has developed a rudimentary sentience at the molecular level. Mm -hmm. The Dora Milaje use it in their spears so as to have a symbiotic relationship with their weapons. Mm -hmm. They also use it in some much more heinous weapons, like the one that Nakia-turned-malice borrowed and set loose on Storm. So... It's basically intensely dangerous, and they rarely even mention those weapons, let alone use them. Now, the much more well-known Wakandan vibranium Mm -hmm. is a metal of great tensile strength, but it's not actually unbreakable per se. Its most impressive capability is absorbing vibrations, sound, and kinetic energy. Mm-hmm. So it isn't so much bulletproof as it steals the momentum of the bullet and then stores that energy in its own molecular structure.
1: Okay. Now, this is the stuff that that Captain America's shield is made out of?
0: Give me just a moment and I will <laughs> elucidate you on Captain America's shield.
1: All right.
0: <laughs> because there's one other aspect of Wakandan vibranium uh-huh. that we really need to mention before moving on, which is it's a powerful mutagen and has mm-hmm. had... Massive effects on the Wakanda flora and fauna, including creating plants and animals that will give superpowers if ingested, such as the heart-shaped herb or the white gorillas. Uh Mm
1: Uh-huh.
0: Okay. Yes. Now, Captain America's shield. In the 616, it is not pure vibranium.
1: Okay. Mm -hmm.
0: A scientist in World War II received a small bit of Wakandan vibranium and tried to alloy it with iron to create tank armor. Mm Mm-hmm. He could not get the alloy to work and then accidentally succeeded at bonding them and could never replicate the experiment. Uh However, the little bit of alloy that he had, he poured into the mold of a tank hatch, which is why it's that disc shape that would one day operate his cap shield.
1: Wow.
0: As I said, the scientist was never able to duplicate that alloy. However, in the process of trying over and over and over, he accidentally created the truly indestructible metal adamantium, made most famous by Wolverine's bones and claws.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: So obviously that's kind of interesting and fun, but just making cap shield pure vibranium is so much simpler. (laughs) Right. I mean, we'd already had, like, a scientist who was not around to duplicate the super soldier formula, so having another one who couldn't duplicate the shield was maybe a bit much. (laughs) Right. So it's worth saying that Wakanda is part of a cultural and artistic movement called Afrofuturism. Now, I'm going to quote Wikipedia to make sure I don't mess this up, because while I'm very aware of the aesthetic, my knowledge is, like, real broad but not very deep. Okay, so here's the Wikipedia quote. Mm -hmm. Afrofuturism is a cultural aesthetic, philosophy of science, and philosophy of history that explores the developing intersection of African diaspora culture with technology. It was coined by Mark Derry in 1993 and explored into the late 1990s through conversations led by Alondra Nelson. Afrofuturism addresses themes and concerns of the African diaspora through technoculture and science fiction, encompassing a range of media and artists with a shared interest in envisioning Black futures that stem from Afro-diasporic experiences. Now, there are some seminal Afrofuturistic works, including the novels of Samuel R. Delany and Octavia Mm -hmm. Butler. Mm -hmm. There are the canvases of Jean-Michel Basquiat and Mm -hmm. Angelbert Gilbert Metoyer and the photography of Renee Cox, the explicitly extraterrestrial mythoi of Parliament Funkadelic, the Johnson Crew, Warp 9, Deltron 3030, Cool Keith, and Sun Ra, and the Marvel comic superhero Black Panther. Oh. Specifically mentioned in Wikipedia as one of the big afro works, right? Mm-hmm. So I've technically known about Black Panther since I was a kid and I've read a good selection of Butler and I'm finally getting around to N.K. Jemison. now. Took me long enough, right? <laughs> but my chief experience with Afrofuturism is through music. Mm -hmm. Thanks to Dr. Dre and the movie PCU, I learned who George Clinton and the Parliament Funkadelic were, and I instantly fell in love with their musical stylings, as well as the entire interstellar mythology of Starchild, Dr. Funkenstein, and Sir Nose Devoid of Funk. Later on, I discovered Deltron 3030 and Janelle Monet. And for a long time, I didn't know that there were Afrofuturistic books. All I knew was that there was a lot of music, right? Yeah. Now, as a lover of superheroes, science fiction and fantasy, but a person who is always desperate to see them through new lenses, Afrofuturism has been a godsend to me. That's <laughs> real truth. It's led me to discover a black centric subgenre of fantasy called Sword and Soul, Mm -hmm. Come on. So if you're out there listening and you're a little bored with most sci-fi and fantasy that you're reading, then look to the Afrofuturists. And if you want to experience it through music, then put a glide in your stride and a dip in your hip and come on down to the mothership. Lonnie, are you hip to Easter Island?
1: I don't think so.
0: (laughs) No? All right. It's fine. It's just for me. It's just for me right now. And that's okay. I don't...
1: Not yet. Not yet. (laughs) All of that is a reference to
0: George Clinton's Parliament Funkadelic, which existed Uh as a doo-wop group called Parliament and then later became a funk band called Funkadelic and then also Mm -hmm. became the P-Funk All-Stars. And through their music and over many years and many albums, they created this giant mythology Uh that is all about... I don't know what else to say besides Afrofuturism. Like, what if what if black people took to the stars from ancient uh-huh. Egypt? And what if they came back and they still knew more than all these white people? Stuff like that. Oh. It's very good. And like I say, my first real brush with a concept before I even knew it was a concept. I
1: love it. I love it. That's very, very cool. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to hear all about that.
0: Oh, am I making a P-Funk? playlist for you now? I think I am.
1: I think I think you might. Yeah, I think we may (laughs) have to do that. (laughs) Okay, well, while you're making me that playlist, I'm just going to go ahead into the production history for Black Panther. Black Panther was released on February 16th, 2018. It was written by Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole. Before this, Coogler uh, wrote a few screenplays and directed a few other movies. He's probably best known for writing and directing Fruitvale Station, also starring Michael B. Jordan and Creed also starring michael b jordan so uh definitely kugler is a guy who can sense talent and uh, and keep working with it because uh, michael b jordan is amazing i have loved him since friday night lights and it's so fun to see him in this movie
0: absolutely such a so great so great he's I mean,
1: amazing he is amazing black panther did crazy numbers when it was released breaking 1.3 billion in the box office and becoming the second highest grossing film of 2018 coming in behind avengers infinity war and is the 12th highest grossing film of all time so hot damn that's a big deal um as as you guys no doubt remember, we were introduced to T'Challa and his father T'Chaka in Civil War. Uh, King T'Chaka died in the events of that film and set off the events in this movie. Um, also, as a neat note, King T'Chaka is played by John Connie, and his younger self is played by his son, Atandwakani. On Rotten Tomatoes, Black Panther has a 97% rating with critics and an unfathomable to me 79% rating with audiences. Um... Which, unfortunately, can be explained rather simply.
0: Yeah. um, For those of you who just enjoy the films and maybe Mm -hmm. our podcast sometimes and don't live online quite as much as I do, Mm -hmm. and Lonnie does, you may be shocked to discover that within every fandom there is a dark, rotten heart. Yeah. (laughs) Every single one of them. Yes. And a lot of times that dark, rotten heart is really bigoted in some way and that yeah. might have something to do with it.
1: <laughs> I think it, it, the only it's the only explanation I can possibly think of because this movie is pretty much universally seen as as a really really great movie. Um but yeah, I mean I guess, you know, some people are assholes and there's just nothing you can do about that. So, um uh, well, I mean, hopefully we can. <laughs> Hopefully we can... I have to believe we can do something about that. But anyway. Um, so narratively, um, in this movie, we've got two lines of conflict basically running through this story. Um, and we've got an internal line of conflict for T'Challa, who wants two things that appear to be in conflict with each other. He wants to be a good king, but he also wants to be a good person. Um, and we actually address that directly when his mother you know, basically says that to him. That it's, it's yes. hard to be both. You know, um, So this essential thing philosophical sore spot is personified in Nakia uh, who chooses to be out in the world doing good for people and doesn't have that conflict she knows exactly what she needs to do and exactly how she needs to do it but she also has that freedom and that's part of the reason why she doesn't want to be married she doesn't want to be queen
0: yes yeah I think it's more queen than married and then she's locked into a role that doesn't let her be proactive in the world yeah
1: Yeah, that doesn't let her do the things that she wants to do. So she is really kind of like the reflection to T'Challa of of, of a simpler you know, way to be, that you can Mm -hmm. be one thing instead of having to be two things that are in conflict. Um, So I like that. Um, But then we've got this external conflict, which really starts when he goes after Ulysses Claw in in Korea, like some 36 minutes into the film, you know? Um, I give this a pass, though, because we have the uh, internal conflict at play for T'Challa before this, which holds up the structure. And this external conflict really reflects... That internal conflict. You know, yes, gives it something absolutely. to like to to grind with, right? Um so and then we have the internal conflict essentially made flesh and killmonger, you know. Um so which also, is my
0: favorite superhero shit. I mean, people who've yeah. been listening to this know all I want is internal conflicts externalized into things that superheroes can punch. Because exactly. that is how the story works. <laughs>
1: It is a really, really great way to tell a story. And so we we do that here really, really nicely. So while narratively it's not, um, you know, it's not traditional, I, I think it still works because we always have a conflict in the air at one point or another, and it's always a strong narrative conflict. Um, so the internal conflict starts at the beginning and the resolves a little bit earlier. The external conflict starts a little later and the resolves at the end. So I think overall it really works. We do, however, have not won... <laughs> but two prologues yeah we do (laughs) all right now as you all know i generally take issue with prologues but in this instance i think at least one of them serves a greater purpose
0: (laughs) Um, i agree i agree yes
1: Yes, the Black Panther origin myth. First of all, like an origin story is a complicated thing. Like I think there's part, you know, we've talked about this a lot throughout this podcast, these episodes, um, that there is a space for the origin of these superheroes, you know, for finding out how someone became a superhero. I think there is definitely a space for that. At the same time... We spend a lot of time with the origin story. We don't really get to the actual story, the actual narrative that that we're trying to tell with this character. And so a lot of times it can be, you know, it can be roughly done. I think the MCU has done pretty well with this, Um, but it's not always great, you know. Um, So here we are now and we've got this lovely, I don't know, minute, minute and a half you know, right. <laughs> origin myth that is first of all beautifully visually realized on screen. Um, and we have this like lovely, you know, back and forth between what I'm presuming to be a young T'Challa and his father, you know. Um, and and it ends, you know, on this like question mark, you know, from the kid, right? Um, so I really, really like that. And I think it's it's nice, it's beautifully done, it's quick, and so I'm all for that. It gives us the sense of You know, of what all of these things mean. And also there's something about this sense of history, um, you know, which was erased for a lot of the African people who were stolen from their homeland and brought over here. They were denied that history. And so there's something about that that just resonates so beautifully and so wonderfully in this story that I actually really love that prologue. So I would defend that prologue. I think this, that it's yeah.
0: bigger even than how well it's executed. I think it really centers the narrative mm-hmm. outside of our usual experience. And by yes. our, I mean American moviegoers, but especially white American moviegoers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, in a way that was done... I, a little more whitewashy, but you can still see kind of a uh, uh, similar seeds like in the Lion King, the, the, mm-hmm. I have not seen the air quotes live action one. I mean the animated one yes. from many years mm-hmm. ago where we really did some mythological stuff to mm-hmm. recenter this as clearly not a traditional American narrative, you know, right? Mm-hmm. this is Wakanda's in the beginning. And mm-hmm. while we probably could have survived without it, uh, it actually, I really feel like it adds, it's, it's not really part of the main narrative, but it also feels like a really good jumping off point for us to understand the weight that is settling on T'Challa's shoulders from jump.
1: Well, right. And I also see it as a commentary of like what has been taken away because it is really like we have this conflict between this very protected, right? Not colonized African nation, you know, untouched, right. That, that wasn't, that didn't have it's it's myths and it's history stolen, you know, from right. the people that were yeah. stolen from that land, right? And then we have this this African American experience, which is which is so different, right? It mm-hmm. it, it screams of that loss, you know, um, and so it feels like to me it speaks very strongly to these thematic things that we're playing with in this movie. I love it. I mean, and you know me, I hate a prologue. I hate prologues, <laughs> man. But I I, I kind kind of love this one, and I think that it definitely earns its space, and it doesn't take forever to do what it's doing. It's very, very quick, and I really – I think it's beautiful. I think there's a million reasons why you can defend that prologue.
0: Um, And my my last one, Mm -hmm. which will stand in contrast with the other prologue, is that while it's not technically part of the main narrative, it does serve the main narrative.
1: It absolutely does. It absolutely does. I think it speaks very strongly to theme.
0: And the other one – it doesn't exactly, we'll, ones- we'll talk about it. It doesn't subvert the narrative, but it could have been done better differently. I'll now hush so you can describe it. <laughs>
1: right. I mean, basically, you know, this is with uh, with T'Chaka and uh, Prince N'Jobu, right? Um, and the pursuant imba- abandonment of Eric. So we get, like, all of the backstory that happens with that, where T'Chaka uh, comes in to check on um, Prince N'Jobu and then discovers that he has, you know, um, has betrayed Wakanda and has sold some vibranium and, um, and all of that, you know, um, and then ends up killing him right you know and um leaving a, a the, then of course eric is left with you know with nothing with no father and you know in the middle of of like not a great life situation you know
0: and um, the heritage that he can never access that he's aware heritage, of yeah. but can never access can which never is
1: access, yeah.
0: much more in line with mm-hmm. the african american experience uh so i mean that is speaking to some of the theme but we didn't have yeah. to get it here
1: no I don't think we need to get it here I mean when we get the story from uh, Zuri later on I think that at that point you know even though he's telling it in flashback and I'm not a big fan of flashback either I think that at that point it it has all of its impact like we yeah. don't necessarily need you know all we don't need this in the beginning and it also it, it feels like it's taken somewhat out of context um, so it just doesn't feel like this prologue has never sat well with me but I do love the the myth prologue i think the myth prologue is beautiful um and so from there we move into the rescuing um of of nakia from the uh, the <laughs> kidnapping
0: boy and that's re- not how she would think of it but yeah well yeah
1: i'm sorry did you not see my air quotes around rescuing <laughs> yeah no, um, no no it's
0: great because that is totally like
1: perhaps from yeah the let's go collect nakia yeah exactly. and nakia is
0: like you're fucking up my shit Go away.
1: Exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, so it's really wonderful how we move into this with Nakia and we have Okoye there and just the introduction of these characters. I actually um, had made a video um, for my my students and I'll, I'll link to this. I'll, I'll put a link up on, on I'll put it up on YouTube and put a link in the show notes for you guys um, for those who are interested. But the the introduction of Nakia and Okoye in Black Panther versus the introduction of Black Widow in Iron Man 2. Um, I, I cut the scenes together <laughs> and the huh. the Ooh, shock Lord. of the difference in the way that I mean Black Widow is um is is seen clearly from a um uh, you know from a, a male gazy kind of perspective she can never wear a shirt that is not unbuttoned down to, you know, mid-navel. Um, she <laughs> fights in this stuff that is absolutely skin tight. The shots are always looking down her shirt, you know, or, like, objectifying her body. Um, and she tends to, you know, take men out with her vagina. Like, she does this thing where she, like, throws herself at them and locks their face in between her thighs and spins around them a couple of times. And I'm like, No. I do not accept this, <laughs> you know, it's fucking ridiculous. And like, yes, I understand that it's like a wrestling move or whatever, but you know, I don't care what you say. There's a specific reason why we have Scarlett Johansson do that. And it's not because of athleticism or whatever. Um. So, uh, so it's something that just like the, the difference, the way in which Black Widow is objectified and the way in which these women are not when we have the fight scene in Korea, I mean, oh my god. Wow. They're yeah. it they're treated with respect. They're not shot in a way that is overly objectifying, yet they are still beautiful. But when you see Okoye go flying down the stairs in that dress, if she's not a goddamn superhero in that moment, then superheroes <laughs> do not exist. I'm sorry. Um, she's unbelievable. And and the way that these, uh, these characters are treated, the way that they're written, the way that they are respected, you know, um, it's uh, like, it honestly, for me, was one of those experiences where I sat down, you know, as a woman, and I can't speak to what the experience of Black Panther is, you know, from a Black perspective. Um, I imagine it to be someone similar just this sense of i am i am watching a character that is you know from my group that is not being slapped
0: Mm -hmm. you know
1: um and the feeling of that is is like this feeling of relief that i didn't realize i needed until i went to black panther in 2018 you know that's how long it took before i realized that as a woman i didn't need to get slapped every time i went and saw a piece of media you know right um so, um, so I just to me like between Nakia, Okoye, uh, the Dora Milaje, uh, Shuri, Shuri. <laughs> oh my God, that kid is amazing. I love her. Um, she's <laughs> incredible. Uh, so all of these characters, like all of these uh, female characters, are just. Phenomenal to me, and every time I watch them, you know it's it's just incredibly powerful to to watch these characters. I took my two daughters to the movie to see uh to see this in the movie theater, and uh, my younger daughter is a um was is a stem kid you know she's in computer science and she cried. When she saw Shuri, she cried when of she course. saw this kid being portrayed, this this young girl being portrayed this way. Um, it was an incredibly powerful experience for me. And we are going to talk a little bit. We're going to um, reference some, some writing from uh, black media critics. We've talked about uh, Black Panther and the black experience of seeing it and of engaging with it critically, which is something, of course, that Joshua and I cannot speak to. Uh, so we are definitely going to get to that. But I just wanted to kind of like open with how, as a woman, This was an incredibly powerful movie for me to see, especially with my daughters.
0: Honestly, it is – I guess my reaction to the powerful women in this movie is similar Mm -hmm. to my reaction to the powerful black presence Mm -hmm. in this movie where Mm -hmm. I am – so aware of the problems, you know, that usually infest media that I could enjoy the fact that this was different. I could appreciate Mm -hmm. the fact that it was different and that it wasn't going to slap my friends and family in the same way that so much other media does. But that's about it. Like, I'm kind of enjoying that at arm's length. I just can't Mm -hmm. experience it the way that you get to experience the women and that our black brothers and sisters get to appreciate the representation
1: yeah i mean i, I remember that youtube video right where this one guy was yes. like this is how white people feel all the time all the time <laughs>
0: yes <laughs> except and, that man. we don't
1: we don't because we never had to experience having that denied to us and that's well different, you know I mean, I mean let
0: me tell you what that yeah. video hit me where I lived because I was like, I damn, you're right. Yeah. I do feel like that all the time. I'm a straight white man in America. I swagger <laughs> where I want to swagger and don't even think about the fact well, that I'm We don't swaggering. have
1: to think about it. Right. That's the exactly. thing. Like, we don't have to be – we're not aware – of it, you know, in general. I mean, I I like to think that we are getting gradually a little more aware as we move through the world. Um, But, uh, but yeah, like it's, it's, but it was so beautiful. I loved I loved watching that guy respond to that, you know, just looking at the movie poster, you know, and to see that joy. It was it was really honestly out of all of the things, all of the experiences of Black Panther. That was like one of my favorite parts of this whole experience, you know, it's probably as close as I'm
0: ever going to get to actually experiencing that feeling like that vicarious feeling through.
1: Yeah. That
0: man's reaction is probably yeah. as close as I'm ever going to get to that kind of transcendent joy. Well, uh, it's it's yeah.
1: wonderful to see it. And the thing is, is that we've got black men writing, you know, black yep. man directing. Yep. Right. When you've got when you've got diversity above the line and diversity with power above the line, you know, um, yeah. it makes it's not one person difference. in the writer's room. It's not. It's one the writer's person. room. It is. It is. And I think that that makes such a difference. And um, to see Ryan Coogler not just write black characters like that, but be able to write and respect women like that. Yes. Um, that, was, that was really like a powerful experience for me. Um, but that said, overall, I mean, I think we've got a really strong superhero story here. You know, um so I, why don't you talk a little bit to that about how is how does Black Panther work for you as a superhero story?
0: Well, I, I've mentioned before that superheroes as a genre, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. extremely malleable. Uh They mm-hmm. go with everything. We, yes. We've seen a bunch of that in the MCU, right? Like mm-hmm. already we've got. Superheroes at war, we've got fantasy superheroes, space opera superheroes, you know, just uh coming of age, you know, friendly mm-hmm. neighborhood superheroes. We've really had it all. And from that perspective, I really, man, this is kind of hard to say. This is not that superheroy a movie, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. and yet it very much is because it does that externalizing of an internal conflict mm-hmm. better than almost Beautiful. every other MCU Mm -hmm. movie, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we, of course, we get that with a lot of the opposite numbers like Obadiah Stain and the Red Skull Mm -hmm. and stuff like that, but it just doesn't, it just doesn't land like this does. Yeah. Um, So, from that perspective, it's probably one of the best superhero stories in the MCU, even Mm -hmm. though its superhero ness is a little bit on the down low because it's going on underneath this political intrigue and and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it's, I, I can sort of appreciate. I sort of have to hold like the the two halves, and it. You know, I was talking about like that alloy between iron and vibranium, right? right? And that mm-hmm. that was so hard. Uh, superheroes alloy with everything, but they don't alloy with everything smoothly or perfectly mm-hmm. or as well. And this is just that perfect meld because I feel like it's both not a very good superhero or not centered on superhero stuff while also being a fantastic superhero story
1: right Mm -hmm. yeah no I love that I think it's it's just it's an incredibly powerful movie Um, and it's one of these things like I've watched it a number of times because I teach it in my class um, Mm -hmm. every year Um, and we we always have really interesting and good discussions you know surrounding it Um, but it's it's a good story You know, Um, but it also it also talks about like really deep and powerful themes. And one of them is, you know, is the idea of the sympathetic with a question mark antagonist, (laughs) right? In Killmonger and that there are there are certain things about Killmonger that you look at him and you're like, I get it. Like I understand, like I understand yes. the anger. I understand the perspective around it. You know, there's this moment where, um, you know, when he's when he's going in the, our introduction when he when they break into the uh, museum and they they take the vibranium, right? And he says, "How do you think your ancestors got those? Did they pay a fair price, or did Man. they take it like they take everything else, right?" And in that moment, I mean, I think you got to hand it to him. <laughs> Dude's got a point.
0: No, he's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a place we get to where the point is not, enough to keep going but that's why he's an antagonist but that's why
1: he's well not just an antagonist he's also a villain they're not necessarily always the same thing true very there's a point like where an antagonist is simply the character who blocks your protagonist from getting what they want but a villain is a bad guy you know a villain is a person who's doing this and sometimes like even reasonable perspectives taken to extremes um you know can be villainous, you know, that's when they that you go too far, that's when ends justify the means. Um, and one of the articles that I read was written by Stephen Thrasher at Esquire called, There is Much to Celebrate and Much to Question about Marvel's Black Panther. Um, and before I get into Thrasher's thoughts on Killmonger, I just wanted to share this one little excerpt, which is a passage that just really touched my heart. Uh, Thrasher writes, A consequence of seeing one Black character in a diverse cast sends the message that Black people People ought to get as close to white people as they can and not turn to other people of color if they want to develop intimacy, love and power. This is not a problem in Black Panther in which nearly every touch, every relationship and every plot point exists to build connection between black characters. Um, And I loved that insight that because we... Look at the stories that were told. You know, we look at what we see, the representation that we see. And, and that's what, those are the messages that both explicitly and implicitly tell us yes. how we should live our lives, what is right and wrong. And the idea that black people, because they only saw themselves represented in the context of... White people and white Mm -hmm. stories that they had to get as close to, to white people as possible in order to have a place in the story you know and the idea that they don't have to do that the Black Panther says no (laughs) you know this is about this community this is about our connecting to each other Um, I really loved that and I loved that um, from Thrasher I thought that was really nice but anyway back to Killmonger Uh, Thrasher also writes Killmonger wants to use Wakanda's weapons to stop the suffering of black people globally and we the audience are manipulated into rooting against this because we live in an ideology in which nonviolence is always expected of black people no matter what. Um, And I think that like, I, I I really appreciate this perspective, because I do think that that is a, um, like a cultural expectation that is put on, on black people um, to quietly, non disruptively, you know, ask nicely for their equality. And then we'll think about it. You know, Um, and I think that that becomes uh, really incredibly frustrating after a while. And I can see how in the context of this movie, you look at Killmonger, you know, at what he has experienced, at what he lost, you know, by being taken to America and then cut off from his heritage, you know, Mm -hmm. from his birthright. Um, You know, all of those things like that's incredibly painful and you can understand his anger, and you can understand him wanting to use that power to somewhat set things right. And, and I don't know that, I, that the text, that I think that the text supports the idea that he wanted to, um, to use the, the Wakanda's resources to stop the suffering of Black people so much as he, he wanted really to, um, to create a lot more suffering. You know, to to get vengeance, essentially. And I think that there's a certain point where I'm not sure that the text really supports that. But I think that, that in an extra textual context, when you think about what is the expectation that's put on black people, and then here we have a character who is coming in and kind of making that point and being shown as being too violent, you know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. that 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 can absolutely, I think, um, you know, rub the, the wrong way. And I hear Thrasher's point here per, very clearly because of that expectation um, that people that black people should be nonviolent despite all the violence inflicted on them. You know, starting with kidnapping them from their homeland and the forcing them to work and die unpaid in a foreign land um, and then be subjected to hundreds and hundreds of years of, of racist policies that prevent them from finding, you know, you know, as much of a foothold as as they should have, considering that they did the work that built the damn country in the first place.
0: So I am by far not going to start telling black people how to feel about this movie. Right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I can see how the real world impressed upon Thrasher to the point where he got that from this movie. I do mm-hmm. think that he's actually kind of pulling an extra textual message. From the film as well, though, because Mm -hmm. of that, like, uh, I think I agree with you very seriously that the text itself does not necessarily support that particular read, like Mm -hmm. his willingness to use violence is not the problem with Killmonger or at least not the primary problem because we watch many other characters that we consider to be heroic Yes. Use violence in this Absolutely. movie. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, including some people who live kind of on the line, like Tachaka. you mm-hmm. know, like he did one act of violence that, that you know, in the moment needed doing to save a life. Right. But then mm-hmm. he did a further act of violence to his nephew that ruined his life. You, you know, right. like mm-hmm. we yeah. watch heroic people use violence in a way that we feel is uh worthwhile, like trying to capture Claw. Mm-hmm. Claw should face sure. Wakanda justice, right? Sure. And then mm-hmm. we see T'Chaka in the middle, and then we see Killmonger at the far other end of the spectrum. His problem is not the use of violence. It's that he is exploiting Wakanda.
1: Yes. He is
0: colonizing Wakanda.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: He is not allowing Wakanda into himself. He is injecting himself into Wakanda. And I see this, like, all over. The- I mean, they do make some of it explicit uh, that... Mm-hmm. That I think it was Shuri who specifically said, you're using their tactics against them. And that swallowing of the poison pill in order to kill somebody else is always kind of a a flag in superhero fiction that that person is not going to go the distance as a hero, you know. Right. Um, And I think you see it all over because he wants to become king so he can Mm -hmm. use Wakanda. But as soon as he's king, he is... Burning. He starts a place to destroy of,
1: it. Yeah. He just
0: destroys it from the inside out. And mm-hmm. some of it's really overt, like burning yeah. the heart shaped herb, yeah. which is very much a topple government's move. Like we take the yeah. authority and then we slam the door behind us. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't mm-hmm. plan on there being another king after him.
1: Yeah, no, he is absolutely doing that. And also, I mean, he's like we see the way that he treats women. I mean, when we're, we're talking about the way that women are treated in the movie in general, Killmonger is um is really, you know, super misogynistic in his treatment of women. Yes. Um and uh, and he abuses the Wakandans themselves. You know, um so he is he is harming he's harming other black people. He's harming You know, the his African heritage, where he came from. He didn't get to have it, so he's burning it down for everybody else. And so that's where I think that he he crosses that line, you know, into real villainy. But I think that there is you know, there there does feel like I I, I see I absolutely see Thrasher's point, you know, in that here we have a black man using violence and we you know And we condemn it. We condemn it out of hand. Yeah. Out of hand, condemn it. Yeah, I think that there are, you know, there are reasons within the text to to say that Killmonger is, is not a good dude, not a righteous dude. Um, but extra textually, I can see how that can grate.
0: You this know? is also part of the reason that I hold him up as one of the best, if not the best yeah. villains in the entire MCU, because yeah. he has a point of view That we can sympathize with. I mean, mean, it's not dissimilar from Adrian Toomes. Like, Mm -hmm. Adrian Toomes has a point of, I said myself, I'd be on the crew through three Mm -hmm. quarters of the plan. I'd be on Killmonger's crew through a chunk of the plan. like You know? Um, But once, I'd like to believe that once I saw him despoiling the place that is only in this position where it can be helpful because it has never been spoiled. And his right. first action on every level is to despoil it. Yeah, um, yeah, that's too far. It's too mm-hmm. far. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, it's it's it goes too far. Um, but he's a great he's a great villain because you can understand him. Yes. you know you can see where he's coming from. You can see that anger is righteous. It is justified. The behavior that comes from that anger um, goes and hurts the people that you know that were already. Um, you know, um, well, I guess, I guess Wakanda wasn't, but I mean, Wakanda was surrounded by countries that had been colonized, that had been yes. treated this way yeah. and did what it had to do to protect itself from that. Um, well to a point, right? Yeah. I mean,
0: that's, that's the question is, I think the answer that everyone, including T'Challa arrives at is we should have been doing more but mm-hmm. then the question becomes: When should they have started doing more? Right? Because at a, at a, at, at one level they had to protect themselves. but then they got into the habit of protecting mm-hmm. themselves. And and I mean, I think that's why you see T'Challa moved to a different mm-hmm. position by his interactions with Killmonger. Yeah. Like yeah. he agrees with the outcome, but cannot agree with the methodology. With the
1: methodology, exactly. And mm-hmm.
0: That's huge. That is. Yeah. That's huge for the character arc of T'Challa and for the country, Mm -hmm. right? Right. But it's also huge for giving Killmonger that nuance. Like our hero looks at him and says, yes, but not like this. And that's a big deal narratively.
1: Oh my God, no, it's wonderful. I love that, you know, because because we're not saying that his you know, his idea or his perspective on it is wrong. It's, it's his methods, you know? Yes. Um, and. Which are our methods. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Take a look in the
0: mirror, white America, you know?
1: Exactly. Exactly. Um, so I really, really love that. Um, and I gotta say, I, you know, I like, I love Martin Freeman, right? I love the character of Everett Ross. Um, Uh I loved having, like you know a white guy being in the support role you know and like helping them and but they also you know first of all reverse racism is not a thing go look it up and do the research but anyway (laughs) um it's not a thing so it's that's not what's happening here but it's not like we're like oh give white people some of their own medicine it's that here we have this variation in the way that white people are usually um, portrayed. And even in that, there's no sense of we're slapping the white guy. Don't scare me like that colonizer is said it's <laughs> hilarious. And it's said with affection, like there's still affection. Shuri, you know, and Shuri, great. Another white boy for me to take care of. Right. Because yeah. we also, we also know that Bucky Barnes is hanging out in Wakanda right now. Um, it's just like, it's done with affection. It's done with respect. He's given a role to play in the big fight, and he manages to, you know, to help save the day. Um he's I he's a fun character, and I like him in it. And I think it's it's fun um, to kind of to see to be able to see a white character being in the minority in a movie, but still, you know, like nobody is. It doesn't feel vengeful. It just feels like here, you know, here we go. Like we're just showing you that there are other ways to look at these relationships, that it's not always white people in charge and black people following along. And, you know, I like it. I thought
0: it was great. I'm going to say I'll speak for myself anyway. It was a little bit of me getting some of my own medicine and I'm fine with it. Right like yeah,
1: it didn't bother me at all. I liked it.
0: (laughs) Having Everett shut down by Mbaku was spectacular and correct for the situation. There's no way that guy commands any respect there. Um and Shuri is barbed, but jokingly, I mean, you know, she's she says what she means. She gets his attention right away. Yeah. Um but does not continue to dehumanize him. Like, does it once? No. listen. get it. get a bead on where you are.
1: OK. now let's thing. be friends. <laughs> he gets he gets way better treatment in this movie than minorities have in, you know, predominantly white movies throughout history, which so I like, think is
0: also a message worth sending. I, I exactly. mean, like that that it doesn't have to be retributive. And and the white person being a little uncomfortable in their situation is not itself inherently retributive.
1: No, I don't think that it is at all. I mean, I I really I liked it, you know, and um so I didn't feel like that was I mean, not that not that, you know, we couldn't use a slap or two. You know what I'm (laughs) saying? Like as white people, I think there's a there's a lot of awareness to be had to wake up to. You know, yes, Um, and yet still, even you know, even with that, it was it was done with a really loving hand. It just, you know, it felt it felt like saying, "Okay, here's a thing that you should be aware of," but in a but done in a very gracious and loving and respectful way. I mean that that is not earned. That is not necessarily like we've we've. Deserve way worse than that. But yes,
0: um, yes. But it was. And, still... and in a bigger world building aspect, yeah. doesn't it make sense that this is the only place on earth where Bucky Barnes could be expected to get his head right? Yes. Philosophically, mm-hmm. technologically, yes. interpersonally, there is mm-hmm. nowhere else in the world that Bucky was going to be able to go to get the treatment that he needed and the mm-hmm. atmosphere in which that treatment could take hold. And right. you see that. Quietly, nobody brings this up. You just mm-hmm. see it in the way that Everett is treated,
1: right? And the, see, that's the thing. It's gracious in grace, in that you get something that you don't deserve, not because you deserve it, but because the people giving it to you are uh, extending grace. Yes, you know, and that kind it. It's a gift, right? It's a gift. It's a kindness, and um, and I I loved. Everett I loved when M'Baku shut him down I loved when (laughs) Shuri called him colonizer I loved all of it I thought it was great and in the end he still got to be part of the team
0: he still got to
1: help save the day um which was grace which was absolute grace um so, I mean, that brings us into a discussion of representation, right? We've had this discussion um, quite a bit. There was an article written in Time Magazine by Jamil Smith uh, called The Revolutionary Power of Black Panther. And uh, one of the quotes I want to pull from it is this. If you are reading this and you are white, seeing people who look like you in mass media probably isn't something you think about often. Every day, the culture reflects not only you, but nearly infinite versions of you. Executives, poets, garbage collectors, soldiers, nurses, and so on. The world shows you that your possibilities are boundless. Now, after a brief respite, you again have a president. Okay, now I'm going to break from reading Smith's commentary and just say Ugh. all right anyway um back to Jamil Smith those of us who are not white have considerably more trouble not only finding representation of ourselves in mass media and other arenas of public life but also finding representation that indicates that our humanity is multifaceted and i think that that is one of the really like beautiful expressions of um, why we need more diverse stories told from diverse perspectives, you know Um, not that we need more white people writing, you know, diverse characters into their white stories, but that we need more of these stories to show that there isn't one type of black person, of Asian person, of gay person You know, that we can have infinite variety the way that humanity has infinite variety, you know. Um, And so I read that and I was like, wow, you know, I mean, I'd always felt the power of Black Panther. But again, these are things that as a white person, I may not recognize that element of it. And so um, reading diversely, I have to say, is one of the greatest gifts. Reading diversely is good because writers from these different perspectives have done this work and allow us to peek in and learn something from the work that they've done. Um, and it makes such a huge difference. And it, it, it helps me to enjoy these stories on another level as I go back into them. Um, so I, I find that Coogler um, and Cole are able to write all these characters and women. neither, And they are not women. But they're able to write the women well, you know, because Mm -hmm. they've done the homework, because they've realized what's happening and they've corrected for it. Um, And it's just, it's really beautiful. Also, I would like to put a link in the show notes to uh, Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie's TED Talk, uh, The Danger of the Single Story, which speaks a little bit to this, um, again, of what happens when we only tell one kind of story around particular identities. And um, it's a wonderful TED Talk. She's an amazing, amazing writer and thinker. And so I highly recommend that. And again, all these links are going to be in the show notes.
0: (laughs) we're bringing them to you because you should read them and now we give you the link and then please join us on Twitter or Discord and let's talk about all of this awesome stuff
1: and i've really been enjoying it uh you know we did a lot of this uh this kind of research when we were talking about colonization and indigenous issues um in Thor Ragnarok right mm-hmm. things that i yeah. didn't have I didn't have anything to talk about. Like, I couldn't say anything about it with any kind of actual knowledge. Um, so as I'm doing more and more of this reading and this research, it gives me um, – it's, it's such a gift. It's a grace, right? You know, it gives, yes. me, it gives me this opportunity to, to understand these things on a different level. Um because of the the generosity of these writers who go out and share their perspectives with us.
0: It's also very in line with mm-hmm. a chipperish mantra that yeah. story is the most powerful force on earth. It and is. the West, the mm-hmm. West, Capital W has been telling a story about Africa for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. It's gonna take a minute of yeah. telling the opposing redemptive story yes. before we even start to chip away at that old edifice. Right. And so we can definitely be on board with the idea of specifically and purposefully creating mythologies that are counter to the already untrue and destructive ones. Yes. High five. Do that thing. Tell us where we can help.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. And speaks so much. Like, yeah, story is the most powerful force on Earth. I will argue that with anybody you can fight me on it you will lose it's it's absolutely so incredibly powerful and and having stories that that counter those really destructive stories that we have been allowing to um, to run the show for all of these years um, it's so powerful and it's so beautiful um, and it's exciting to be able to you know to see it happen and to and to be able to talk about it too. Um it's it's really fun to talk about this movie. Is there anything in this movie that we want to talk about that we haven't hit on yet?
0: Well, we kind of skipped over Claw, which is fine yes. because he's not really the centerpiece of this film, but I think it's worth saying that Andy Circus fucking kills it.
1: Andy Circus is fantastic. I love him in it and I love that Claw is and in both Ultron and here like he stirs up all this shit he is the incompetent competent you know <laughs> and I kind of love it like he stirs up all this shit it creates all this stuff and then as soon as somebody confronts him in Ultron boom arms off right you know like loses his arm <laughs> well in he's this... not
0: punching his weight in Ultron That's right. right no
1: he's really not but he's stirring up so much shit enough to get in the, you know, in the, like, the um, crosshairs of the Avengers, you know? Right, And then yeah. gets mixed up in this and is just, I mean, just completely out there and then ends up, of course, getting killed, right? Um, and so there's something about him. Ulysses Claw, first of all, great name. Love that character name. I think that that's great. <laughs> um, and there's just something about him that is... Is so kind of fun and fascinating. And yet he is the guy in every movie who just fucks it up, you know, just like makes a big mess of things. You know, he has a trickster energy to him.
0: He does. He really Mm -hmm. does. And I was going to say. I think that that trickster energy really works against him in Age of Ultron because he's yeah. not in control of that situation. Yeah. And it really works for him largely in Black mm-hmm. Panther uh, mm-hmm. because he is so in- as intimately familiar as an outsider can be with Wakanda and the way it will react and how much vibranium's worth and all that stuff. It's yeah. not until someone from inside his own crew that he underestimated. Mm-hmm. That's what does him in. Yeah. You know, and he even says it right before he dies. And to think I just took you as a crazy American. Right. <laughs> oh, somebody out tricked the trickster. OK, now <laughs> this makes sense. Yeah. That's right. Really now it's fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, he's he's absolutely fantastic. And I would also like to give a nod to Angela Bassett as Ramonda. Um, <gasps> yes.
0: Because well, Angela Bassett Well, You were Bassett speaking about the badass. powerful presence of women yeah. in this movie. Mm-hmm. And everyone's respect and deference to mm-hmm. to what to Angela Bassett is bringing to that role as Ramonda. I mean, yeah. she acts like a queen mother. She does mm-hmm. it. She kills yeah. it all the time. Yeah. Even when she's breaking down over T'challa, we get right. it like we see it. Um oh, well, they and then turn their goes and
1: saves the fucking day, right? She and Nakia <laughs> run off you know, and end and up, you know, going to M'Baku. And then, of course, finding T'Challa and bringing him back and all of that, which is amazing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a, and that is, a, like, a really wonderful, like, powerful moment for them. And then, oh, and, you know, we didn't even really talk that much about Okoye. You know, I think when we did our hot take, we talked about this a bit. But, I mean, like, her struggle with her loyalty to the crown You know, versus her loyalty or loyalty to the throne or the loyalty to the the man.
0: The throne, the man, the nation, the people, her love, her fiance, who she is deeply conflicted and almost none of those things should actually be in conflict with one another. And yet she is she really is deeply conflicted almost from the minute Killmonger walks into the throne room. And yet. She always knows what her next step is, right? It changes. Mm -hmm. The context Mm -hmm. changes it. But Okoye is never at a loss for what to do next. No. She's is It is a powerful presence.
1: But it is such, I mean, it's such a difficult... You see her with that horrible choice that she has to make. And she's like, I pledged my loyalty to the throne. Like, you know, that's just like, that's just what she did. And he legally sits on the throne like he won the battle you know Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so her having to wrestle with that is really difficult and then of course her having to go up against wakabi Uh, wakabi though like i i've never liked him i've never felt that he was worthy of akoya i don't think that they played (laughs) up that romance like i think you could watch this movie and not realize that they were together yeah (laughs) like aside from this one line where she says my love you know um you don't really get a sense of you know of how much she is giving up that moment that she captures him you know like what it is like that choice is not a big deal and i almost kind of like that because like a romantic choice for a woman is usually like you know does she get the man or does she not like that's mm-hmm. the big thing like anything to get the man and here it is her philosophical choice between duty and honor and where she has pledged her loyalties and then it's like oh yeah right and her boyfriend she has to you know arrest him you know but like i mean it so does matter to love her that they don't it does but i love but that it's... that's not the, the most important thing that they play up for her character
0: yes Yes, it's so far down the list from yeah. her loyalty to, again, is it the throne, the man, the nation, or the people? Like, yeah. how can she even be thinking about her personal life mm-hmm. with that in front of her face? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, that is its own quietly subversive approach to a woman character. It's and great.
1: I love it. What that does for female stories, that the man isn't the most important thing in all of the universe. Um, kind of love it. I kind of do. And. It.
0: <laughs> And that the man in that particular situation is the one who is making poor choices because yes. he is governed by his emotions.
1: Yes, exactly. Exactly. Oh, God, it's so good. Every time I watch this movie, I like it more.
0: There's more every to it every single time. Every
1: time. Every time I talk about this movie, I like it more. It's just so freaking good. Um, I think it's wonderful. But now we have the very, very difficult decision of going through <laughs> this whole movie and figuring out what's your favorite part.
0: This is really hard, actually. It is. Um, it's very difficult, but also it will surprise no one when I say all of Umbaku is my oh favorite part.
1: Oh, my God. Part. I know. it's so wonderful.
0: I knew who... Man-Ape was, obviously. Mm-hmm. I was yes. not expecting him to be Man-Ape in this movie because mm-hmm. I was seeing how it was shaping up. But I, I wasn't expecting this level of redemption of the entire concept, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then to have Winston Duke just steal every scene he's in.
1: It's <laughs> he so great.
0: Is so great. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, uh, it's, it's, it's all mbaku all the time for me i I am ready i am ready for the black panther 2 to be a buddy cop movie between Uh t'challa and mbaku that's what i want oh my
1: god Okay, I would love that. If anybody can make that happen, please make that happen. M'Baku is a foil.
0: He's never the antagonist. He's the Mm -hmm. foil. He is a guy who will tell T'Challa no just because he feels like he should hear someone say no now and then.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it's fantastic. Oh, God, it's so good. It's so good. I love M'Baku. Now, M'Baku and Okoye, I could get behind that. I could get behind that pairing. Um, But yeah, I don't know. My favorite part, like, originally I had Shuri in her lab. Sure. You know? Not magic, technology, don't scare me, colonizer. Like, all of the stuff with Shuri. Um, her driving the car remotely while they're in Korea. Um, the the uh, suits that she makes for T'Challa, the way that she just messes with him. Like, I love that relationship. I love everything about Shuri. But now we've been talking about Okoye, and oh, God, I love Okoye so much.
0: <laughs> I, listen, I feel... Like a real asshole man picking Mbaku <laughs> over all these amazing women because it's close.
1: It's hard. It's, it's hard to tough. pick the best thing.
0: But I mean, Nakia is also amazing. Ramonda Nakia, is amazing. Oh, it just God,
1: yeah. No, all Nakia of them together great. are amazing.
0: The yeah. family. The family feel. Of everybody Mm -hmm. who is around T'Challa, from Wakabi to Okoye to Shuri to Ramonda, and that they let's remember, all Mm -hmm. of them lost their father or king or both in the last week. Yeah. But they but they recognize they have a particular thought and feeling about what Mm -hmm. death is for their people, and they're not as they're they're sad they won't see him, but they're not worried about it they're rallying around to China. I'm sorry I'm, I'm disrupting your favorite part because these women are amazing
1: no but it's all my favorite part like it's right. so hard exactly. to do and the thing is that like you know Black Panther when we think about Black Panther we think about like you know what a great moment this is for black people in America to you know to have a movie that is for them and that shows them in this wonderful you know variety and all of that And I, I love what it does for women and there's so many political statements being said in Black Panther and there's all of this stuff but aside from all of that which is enough which is wonderful <laughs> any one of those things a would be, good, be enough <laughs> exactly it's just a good goddamn story with amazing characters Um, and ho- picking the best part is so hard, and usually the favorite part is my favorite part of every episode that we do. <laughs> and now it's really hard because usually I can pick one thing and be like, "No, that's totally my favorite part." Um, but it's it's a really difficult choice to make um, in in this movie because it's just so great. If you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up Aholes.
0: This episode of Listen Up A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to our March producers, Sarah, Shelley... Kristen, Kevin, Alice, Erica, Abigail, West, April, and Jonathan. Thank you, producers. And to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, this message is for you. You have fought with honor. Now yield. Your people need you.
1: All right. To find out how you, too, can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or pull a shuri. Take something that works
0: and improve it. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up, A Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Avengers Infinity War. Until then, great! Another broken white boy for us to fix. This is going to be fun!